Hey, Chicago Fire fans, welcome back to Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast. In today's episode, we are reviewing the Chicago Fire's latest disappointment, this time at the hands and the feet of Atlanta United. We are going to look at the goals and the stats as usual. We're going to hear from our good friend John Donovan, but we are 25%-ish. We are about a quarter of the way through the season. There have been some troubling trends and things that we've seen, and I think it's time to vent a little bit and speak some hard truths about the players, coaches, and the front office. So stay tuned. We're going to touch on all of it. Buckle up, because I got a lot to say. Welcome back once again, Chicago Fire fans, to Feed the Fire, brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven. We are reviewing Chicago Fire's latest debacle, their trip down to Atlanta, or as I called it, the Saganaki Cup, since we have two Greek strikers featuring in this matchup, Yorgos Jakomakis for Atlanta, who nets another goal, five games in a row for him to start his MLS career, as well as Yorgos Kutsias for the Chicago Fire. Uh, who featured late and helped contribute to the Fire's only goal. So the Greeks making things happen for their respective clubs. Uh, again, we saw a 2-1 Atlanta victory. Goals coming from Giacomakis and Marin Haile Selassie for Atlanta. Yes, you heard that right. Selassie got the own goal to give Atlanta the win. Uh, and Kasper Shabilko scores for the Chicago Fire. Yes, you also heard that right. Kasper Shabilko scored for the Chicago Fire. Let's quickly recap these goals, and then we'll jump into the stats before you get all of my, I'll call them hot takes, I'll call them my fired up takes. All right, so in the 13th minute, Atlanta opens the scoring by Yorgos Giacomakis. It took Atlanta four passes, four, one, two, three, four passes to score on the Chicago Fire. It was a complete breakdown of anything resembling defense by the Fire. Now, it started... Uh, in the Atlanta United uh, defensive half right around midfield, uh, Jordan Shakiri does not even pretend to be interested in Atlanta United passing the ball around him. And you can go back and find these clips. He just lets them play a little one-two right around him. And, oh, who has the ball? Tego Almada, World Cup winning Tego Almada, MLS MVP front runner Tego Almada. And he's just hanging there waiting for the opportunity because Shakiri does not put any pressure on him. And he finds the opportunity. Brooks Lennon is running down the right side, blows right by Jonathan Dean and uh, right side of Atlanta's formation. Uh, and and Amada just, just plays a beautiful ball over the top, over everyone, gets to Brooks Lennon, who brings it down at the touchline and is able to play the ball back to the center of the box right around the six-yard spot. Uh, Chihos is scrambling, cannot intercept the pass. Tehran does not identify what's going on in the play and is still like out to the right of Chris Brady, even though the play is developing on the left, trying to mark his man outright. But that leaves Giacomakis open in the middle because, again, he does not rotate over and recognize that Chihos is going over to either mark Lennon or tackle Lennon or try and intercept the pass. And of course, you have a striker at the six-yard line. He's not going to miss that one. It's 
especially a guy who scored now in five straight games. This is, a, again, a complete breakdown of the defense. People are out there saying, oh, that's Teron's fault. He didn't mark Giacomacchi's. Oh, it's Chihos' fault. Uh, he didn't intercept the pass. Or, oh, it's Dean's fault. He got beat. No, this is a complete team goal allowed here, right? There were four guys at least who did not do their job defensively, starting with Shakiri up front. Additionally, this is how Ezra lined his team up defensively. And in this instance, I'm not going to harp on it because Atlanta did a really good job of identifying how the fire were playing defensively and then attacking it because, you know, they, they only got the one goal from open run of play. So I will give a little bit of the benefit of the doubt to the formation here. We've seen Ezra compact the midfield. He did not want Almada dribbling up through the middle, counterattacking through the middle. So they have clogged the middle of the field and it's worked against teams like Philly Wait, 1.2 games. Um, and it's worked against teams like New York City. Oh, wait, they drew against that. Wait, why are we still doing this? Anyway, Ezra wanted to clog the middle to prevent Almada from running rampant and springing counterattacks. So what does Almada do? He just pops one over the top to Brooks Lennon streaking by the Chicago Fire defense. Now, in the 90th minute, luckily, Casper Shabilko gets the equalizer. Yep, Casper Shabilko gets the equalizer. The Fire are pressing. They are playing hard. And right around the middle of the field, off to the Chicago Fire's left, uh, Kutsias forces uh, an errant header. And the Atlanta midfielder, just to try and regain some composure and kind of reset, plays the ball back to his defenders. Except his center backs are split and the ball goes right through the middle of them. Shabilko is able to rush onto it. And no, this is not where he scores. Let me let me make that real clear. The one-on-one -on -one with the goalie 20 yards out, that's the shot he misses. He shoots it right into the goalie. Put it anywhere else, Shabilko, and it's a gorgeous goal. But no, you shoot it right, right at the goalie. Now, Diop played it well. I'll give that to him. He's right on the edge of the 18. If he, if he touches it with his hand, there may have been a shout for a handball there. But he plays it well, cuts the angle down. Shabilko just doesn't know what to do other than kick it hard and kicks it right at Diop. Thank goodness the deflection on this one goes right to Brian Gutierrez, who draws the attention of a scrambling Atlanta back line. He's able to slide the ball over to Shabilko, who then strikes it low and hard into the Atlanta net. Again, getting very lucky that the Atlanta defender, who was back covering the goal line, tries to kind of slide down and the ball goes through his legs or right under his legs. So lots of lots of luck on that play. Again, started by some good pressure in the midfield, fire chasing the equalizer, right? But a lot of luck that the missed shot goes to Gutierrez and that the Atlanta defender misplays it and it goes right under his legs. All right, the fire are feeling good. Maybe they walk out of here with a point. Maybe they steal three points in Atlanta. I don't know, but they're feeling really good. And, and then nine minutes later in the 90 plus ninth minute of stoppage time, Atlanta is able to continue to build and get pressure. They earn the corner kick. And this is the own goal off of Myron Haile Selassie. Again, atrocious play by Selassie but just terrible team defense all around the players on the, uh, on the near post. There's at least two of them who whiff on the low cross that comes in. So standing like at the center of the goal, right around the six yard box. He doesn't even have to jump. And he in fact just kind of like ducks his head down a little bit. And if you're watching me on YouTube, you can see like a, uh, uh, the little jerky motion that he makes 
and it like hits the front of his haircut. I think it hits his bangs if he has bangs. And it just kind of shades over to Atlanta's Parata, who kind of just sticks a foot out. And it deflects off of his foot, off of Salase's back. People were calling it a booty goal. I think it hits him in the back and then goes into the net. So you had the near post defenders completely whiffing. You had Salase, who I don't even think saw the ball this entire play. He just kind of like reacted to something and then it hits him in the back. He doesn't even turn around. This is what's even worse. Like when the ball glances off of his hair and when he's hit in the back and when the ball's in the net, he hasn't even turned around. He is, he, go back, watch the replay. He is still facing the corner flag this entire time. Also, if you go back and watch the replay, you will see that every Chicago Fire defender loses their man or doesn't know who they're marking. There is so much chaos in that box from a defensive perspective that I am not surprised at all that this ball goes in, own goal or otherwise. Yeah, remember the fact, or remember early on and even in last season when it's like, don't worry, the defense is good enough to keep us in games, and then when the offense clicks, then we're going to rattle off a win streak and, and solidify that playoff spot. Yeah, defense ain't doing so well lately, giving up a lot of late-game points. Gee, where we heard that before. Now let's take a look at some of the statistics in this match and see how if it matches up to how you watched the game, or, or maybe there's some things that stick out here. So possession favored Atlanta United, 57 to 43%. And that's interesting because we saw a lot of people on social media and even some of the broadcasters saying it for, for spells of the game, the fire really controlled a lot of this game, they look like the better team for long. Well, the Fire only had 43% possession, so it's not like they were really building and, and controlling the game. Um, maybe in, in moments, but but to say that the Fire were the better team throughout the game, I, I don't think that holds true here. The Fire did get 12 shots, five on goal. And if you follow one of the other statistics we'd heard, the Fire are converting about half of their shots on goal. Well, not today. That average is going to go down. Uh, no block shots for Chicago. Okay, that's fine. Atlanta maybe didn't have too many quality opportunities. Uh, only 375 total passes, so not not a terrible passing game and 82% accuracy, but that does suggest that most of their passes that they are completing and working are in the middle of the field and in their own defensive third. And actually, if you go and find on MLSsoccer.com the passing breakdown, you will see it is extremely tight and compact in the middle. And Chris Brady, I think, only ever played any passes – uh, to Chihos, didn't even attempt any passes, you know, downfield. Uh, and you, you saw Kai Kamara's position where he was in the passing chart, much closer to the center circle than to the opposing box. So on the one hand, Ezra really likes having this compact defensive shape to prevent teams from playing up the middle, which, you know, again, to be fair, tactically, you're going to hear coaches say, even the best coaches, you're never going to prevent your opponent every opportunity, right? If you clog the middle, they'll play up the wings. If you take away the wings, they play up the middle. If you if you press, they're going to try long balls. If you sag back, they're going to build possession. So you can't take away every single tactic your opponent is going to do. But the problem with the way Ezra has them set defensively is the fire are then not transitioning into any sort of offense. Uh, if they want possession, they are completely out of pos position to do that. If they want to spring counterattacks, well, Again, take a look at the expected goals, and we'll touch on that, that they are not quality opportunities and that they're still taking shots from, you know, 20, 30 yards out in some instances. Ahem, Gaston Jimenez. Ahem, Carlos Turan. Ahem. 
right? So the fire, if they want to counterattack, they're not counterattacking. Their passes are, are still compact centrally, not getting out on the wings. And again, it's not turning into scoring opportunities. Uh, only five corners, 21 crosses though. They were, they were whipping stuff in, in, in a, in a desperate attempt to, to find a goal there. Uh, five offside. I'm okay with that. Cause that means they're trying to stretch the back line. It means they're, they're thinking about counterattacking. Uh, they got outdueled by Atlanta 50 to 39. So again, if you're thinking that they were dominating this game, there's a statistic that would suggest otherwise. Um, they did out tackle uh, Atlanta 16 to 11. Brady had three saves on the night. The fire had 16 clearances, 12 fouls. And Hey, we're going back to old habits here. Four yellow cards, four yellow cards to Atlanta's one. So the fire's discipline again, falling apart. Now let's look at expected goals. I keep talking about this. I'm not, I, I, I don't use expected goals in the traditional sense where, Oh, they should be scoring this many goals. They should be, uh, they're overperforming, they're underperforming, whatever. I, because there's so many ways you can score, uh, an XG or a sign of value to a shot, uh, as well as it doesn't tell kind of the whole picture of how your offense is working. So I try to stay away from looking just strictly at the XG, but if I look at the actual, the individual shots and for the Chicago fire for their 12 shots, other than Casper Shabilko's actual goal, which I think was given a 55% or 58% chance. So 0.55 XG they had no other opportunity that had more of a 0.18, more than 18% chance of going in. So once again, 12 shots, none of them had more than an 18% chance other than the one that actually went in. So the fire are not creating good opportunities. So at this point in the show, we are going to turn it over on the podcast side of things to our good friend, John Donovan. So make sure you are following along on uh, on our podcast, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And John's segment is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This is not your average water. Clearly, yep, pun intended, it's one of the best. So for our podcast listeners, take it away, John. Nick, John Donovan here talking about the MLS and the Chicago Fire. Nick, what a game. I haven't had a lot of time to think about this game, but my initial thoughts are both coaches really did not coach these either teams that well. Um, I respect some of the moves that Ezra made. I respect that he put Dean instead of Navarro on the left side. You didn't have that potential red card, which always exists with Navarro out there. I think that uh, the majority of the team were strong, but putting Shakiri in, I know there's probably political pressure from the club where their $8.2 million guy has to play, but he did not play well. And they took him out early in the second half. I mean, he, he does not play in Ezra's system well. There's no room for him. We had a team that, because due to Gutierrez playing in the middle, we had a team that was flowing with the ball. Um, great passes, great outside passes. Mueller was extremely dangerous. Um, Kamara, who is 38 years old, had great run of form for his games. But when you put Gutierrez back into a straight line midfield of 4-4-2, it just, we lost that beautiful flow that was starting to be developed by the fire. Um, 
Shakiri does not play defense. Um, he had a couple of decent passes, but it did not produce any goals. And I think that when a coach makes those kind of moves, he's got to figure out, is it beneficial for the club or not? Starting Dean was good, um, but he took that that beautiful flow that was starting to develop with the squad away from them. Now, in the future, you got to believe that Shakiri will be on the bench. And I'm hoping that Kamara is a guy off the bench rather than starting and trying to play through 60, 70 minutes. You could see at the end, he was not part of the squad. He was floating, but he wasn't running on the ball. I mean, Koutsis is the new Greek 19-year-old midfielder that looks like he could really be doing, we really could have something. So ideally, he goes with Gutierrez, Mueller, um, Koutsis, and uh, Salami, Salan on the right side. That would be potentially what the best that he's got going. Um, it it just it befuddles me why he put Shakiri in that game. It uh, it just makes no sense. Um, the game went on. Atlanta really dominated early, but soccer is soccer, and the fire came back to um, uh, to play. They started to dominate. So it went back and forth. The game was um, the fire had a very lucky breakaway uh, by Casper Shabilko. He missed the initial shot and Gutierrez picked it up and got it back to Casper who blew it in. So 1-1 game going into the 97th minute. Um, Brady had made a brilliant save with his head, no less. Um, but the next corner kick that had the ball bonked back and forth, and you can't put that on Brady, and it just went in. Um, so the Fire lose 2-1, to one, and I think it's hard to do this early in the season. They've dropped out of the playoff spot, which we visited for a total of one weeks, one week. So, you know, if the Fire could just get their their starting players set, which I thought they did, and a rhythm of good substitutions, good healthy substitutions. I think we have a good a team that will make the playoffs, but it's going to depend on the coach acting intelligent and for the betterment of the team. Putting out, you know, Casper uh, did score, but it was lucky. It was because Gutierrez picked up uh, a rebound on his uh, breakaway shot. Casper is not the guy. It should be Camaro in at the very end of the game to perhaps get us those goals, put that 15, 10, 15 minutes into the game. That's what we all would really like to see, or that's what I would like to see. I have to talk a little bit about Pineda too. I mean, he was really fortunate to walk away with three points on this squad. You know, you pay these guys millions of bucks to play the sport of soccer. Now, they have an incredibly aggressive um, center forward, a new guy that has come in, and I think he has tied uh, the record for a rookie on consecutive goals. Um, Nick, you could say these words a lot better than I can, these Greek words. Giamatis, I believe his name was. He is very dangerous. He scored the first goal, and he almost scored a second goal. I mean, literally, the guy is always around the... Um, the goal, and he's the first guy this season 
that I thought uh, Tehran couldn't hold in check. I mean, he is big, he's strong, he's very aggressive. He went out with a hamstring at the end, and that, Lord, you don't want to see a hamstring. You love to see a great player come in and do his stuff. So I'm praying that that's not one of these pull hamstring pulls like Federico Navarro and Torres have. Um, we did not see Torres tonight at all. I mean, um, but again, back to Pineda, why he pulled out Almeida. Um, he pulled out uh, Giamacas because he was hurt. But pulling out Almeida in the 70th minute with a one nothing lead made no sense. And his short play out of the back um, just makes no sense. I know they're pros, but they're playing against pros. And these pros know how to defend a lot of those those passes. I would have much rather see Atlanta have an outlet pass play. Uh, I'd like to see the Chicago have the same thing. But uh, it was an incredible game. I thought that it was going to end up in a tie. But uh, I think with like 20 seconds to go, Atlanta scored and. It, this game will probably hurt them down the line. I mean, you've got to get these these points together. So thanks a lot, Nick. Um, it was very exciting game, kind of sloppy, but uh, it is what it is. And um, I hope Mike's listening. Hello, Mike. Take care, Nick. I'll be with you next week. And we are back, John. Thank you so much for contributing, for letting us know your opinions on this Chicago Fireside each and every week. Uh, for those of you who don't know, John actually played professionally uh, in Venezuela. He was a professional footballer down in South America for a spell uh, and is now a very successful businessman in and around the Chicago area and uh, has been following the fire since their inception. So we appreciate, John, all of your insight, all of your takes, and just the extra bit of energy you bring to the show. Thank you, John. All right. Now, I told you guys at the beginning of the show, I'm going to have my rant as well. And this is the privilege of being the host. If, if John didn't articulate enough, I get to do it again to wrap things up here, right? Buckle up, Fire fans. Get your skira. Take a swig. Get comfortable. I am fed up with the Chicago Fire, as many fans are, right? They are literally in the same place as they were last season. After eight matches, two wins, two losses four draws right now they are 10th place in the eastern conference and even in the expanded playoffs they are not in got to finish top nine this year there are still fans out there who take the glass half full approach good for you guys give me some of whatever it is you're on because i i need it because here here's what they're saying here here's the glass half full approach to the chicago fire well, let's take a look at the opponents they've played. They're really good, right? At Atlanta, home and home against Philly, hosted New York City. They took two points. They were in all of those games. They're going toe-to-toe with some of the best teams here. That's part of the glass half full. We can also use this U.S. Open Cup match against Chicago House, by the way, who's an amateur team, to get us going again. As far as the players and the manager, glass half full approach well, Gaston Jimenez is having his best season in a Chicago Fire jersey. He's playing really well. He's passing. He's doing all these great things. You saw what happened when he came out uh, at halftime in the previous game. that fell apart after that. Oh, and we've got a great center back duo in Chihos and Tehran. No no team is better. I mean, that's more 
of a, of a homer take, right? That Chihos and Tehran are the best center back duo in the league. But the glass half full, they're really good. You don't have to worry about those two. And as soon as Ezra figures out how to get Gutierrez and Shakiri working together, the offense will be fine. Ezra's formations and tactics are good. The players he aren't aren't executing. Or, you know, if we could just get that one goal to go in, like if if Kai had that one go in, or if that highly Selassie own goal didn't go in, man, we'd be we'd be in like sixth or seventh place in the table. And even then, guys, it's only eight games in. Don't worry about it. Okay, dramatic pause here. Dramatic pause. Here's my response to those glass half full takes. That is crap. I don't know what fantasy world those fans are living in. Here's the real world that I'm living in. Again, the Fire are in the exact same position as they were when Ezra took over. They're blowing late leads. They can't figure out how to play offense. They have no defensive shape in transition defense. That was before in 2022, that was in 2022, and that is now again in 2023. They have showed zero, zero progress since this current coaching staff has taken over, or at least since Ezra has taken over as the manager. They are mentally weak. They have defensive lapses late. They have poor discipline. Your, your guy, Gaston Jimenez, half full, glass half full people, picked up a yellow card when he was on the bench against Philly for arguing with their opposing coach. Navarro comes crashing in, creating the penalty against that Philly team to bring them back into the game. Fired four yellow cards. Last season, they had a reputation from the officials, and they were giving them yellow cards. Gutierrez was time-wasting. Who gets time-wasting yellow cards? Yeah, maybe it was a point of emphasis last season, but you see the discipline from last season has not improved to this season with the amount of yellow cards, with the amount of defensive lapses, the amount of late-game mental lapses. No, I don't know what they're working on in practice. Do they play 90 minutes in practice, or do they just stop practicing after the 65th minute and, you know, go work out? I don't, I don't know. Additionally, to address some of the other points above, Gaston Jimenez, oh my gosh, it's his best season as a Chicago Fire player, and all we have to do was not make him a DP? He's in a contract year and suddenly wants to play better? And assuming, if I agree with you, that he is one of the better players on the Chicago Fire, how bad is the rest of our midfielder that miss midfield that Gaston Jimenez must be the starter in order for the Fire to win games? Terrible. So you want to prop him up? In doing so, you're insulting the rest of the midfield. And again, I think it's not that Gaston is playing so well. He's just playing average for an MLS defensive midfielder. And sadly, that's a lot better than he has played the last three seasons. I, I said it in an episode or two ago. I'm done with him. Now, if Chihos and Toronto are such a good center back pairing, and I think they are. I think they are really good. But there's a lot formationally and tactically that they're dealing with. And also, they've got two new wingbacks who they're trying to figure out how to cover for. So I'm not ripping on them too much. But if Chihos and Tehran are so good, why are the Fire 20th in goals allowed in the league? Again, there's no defensive shape. They don't know how to recover or cover or rotate, especially in transition. The Fire get burned in transition each and every week when they're not giving up PKs. I'm not even going to mention the whole Chicago house thing because it's an amateur side and it's the first first game for the fire in the U.S. Open Cup. And if anyone wants to spend time analyzing that matchup or what could go wrong or what could go right and this and that, well, that just shows how worried you are about the Chicago fire that you're analyzing their matchup against an amateur side. If they win, who cares? If they lose, then everyone should get fired and each player should get cut. End of discussion. 
if Ezra has not figured how to get Shakiri and Gutierrez playing well together, what is he doing? What is he doing with his time as the coach? Those are your two best players, and you can't have them on the pitch at the same time effectively? Which also begs the question, why you went out and signed a DP to the second now highest contract at the time, the highest contract uh, in the league when your up-and-coming homegrown star player is also in that same spot. Again, just just ridiculous from the front office on that one. But speaking of the front office and signing DPs, way to miss on all of your DPs. You had Gaston Jimenez, who at least they moved off of a DP contract. Jardin Shakiri, who is he or isn't he hurt? And Jairo Torres, who just is hurt. All busts. I am labeling it right now. Your three DPs under George Heights, all busts. Now he still has an open DP slot that he could play with and maybe hit on, but oh my gosh, he still has an open DP slot after trying to fill it for I don't know how long. And then Ezra coming out and saying, oh, we had a lot going on. We just couldn't close the deal on Nobody wants to come play for Chicago. You're incompetent. Speaking of competence, there are a few principles in MLS that if you perform them competently, you should make the playoffs or at least look like a decent team, right? This is a league that is built and established and, and, and continues to pride themselves on parity, equality amongst teams in their results. They have all these roster rules to make sure that no team just buys wins. There's, there's so many different avenues for teams to get good, whether it's through homegrowns and drafting and waivers, uh, or whether it is through signing big DPs, or whether it's through U22 initiatives. And it, There's so many different ways you can build a team. The fact that the Fire haven't been able to do it on any of them is a huge indictment on their front office. But again, speaking of being competent, if you can just do a few of these things, you should be all right. And, and I got to give credit to to David Goss over at, at MLSsoccer.com, right? And and on Extra Time, because he's he's been a proponent of this, and I'm buying into it. First, have an identity. Have some sort of tactical identity. Have one thing you do well. Be a counterattacking team. Be a defensive team. Be a possession. Pick something, right? Uh, be the team that scores on set pieces. Figure something out, right? I always look at Portland as, as a good example of this, because... Portland under Gio Savarese with a lot of the talent that they've had over the last several years really wants to go out and play. I mean, you saw it with Valeri and Blanco. Those guys could, could play with anybody in MLS. Um, they had some good strikers over the years, maybe not top tier, but quality strikers over the years. Right. Uh, we saw Ebo Bise, who is, who's blossomed into a very, very good MLS striker, uh, albeit not at Portland where he was a little out of the position on the wing, but we digress. Uh, but, Whenever Portland was struggling and not able to score, they reverted into a very defensive formation, that Christmas tree formation, right? Where you, it's like a 4-3-2-1. They went back and said, we know we can grind out results in this formation playing defensively. We have Diego Chara, who's the best defensive mid arguably ever in the history of MLS. And we can rely on, on a solid goalkeeper and defenders and defensive shape to grind up results. The fire can't do that. They are inflexible with formations and tactics. They have no identity. Are they playing counterattacking? Are they going to bunker and counter? Are they going to try and build possession? Do they want to be a, a, a team that plays up the wings? Got a lot of wingers on this roster. 
But then you bring in uh, a DP like Shakiri and put him in the middle of the field. Well, I guess that eliminates the wing play. Anyway, they don't have an identity. Next thing, play well at home. You know, if you're going to take chances, if you're going to experiment, if you're going to do stuff, do it on the road, do it in non-conference games. Play well at home, especially in conference games. Fire have not done that. Again, they are dropping points at home as much as they are on the road. Other thing, sign good DPs. You can you can sign literally anyone in the world, and the Fire have missed on all of them in recent history. Create a strong culture in your locker room or within your squad. Now, they might have a great locker room, especially bringing in Kamara. Everyone says he's a great locker room guy. Uh, but then again, you've got Shakiri who doesn't look to be a good locker room guy, or maybe he's just indifferent. You've got Herbers who kind of about the same thing, like his post. And I only pick on Herbers cause he's the one who's doing a lot of the post game interviews. Uh, and he's saying like, yeah, you know, we, we gave up a goal and we kind of thought this was coming again. Like there is just this malaise throughout this team. It seems they don't have a strong mental, mental culture here. Also build a fan base. You saw in Atlanta, when the game was down to the wire and Atlanta had that corner kick resulting in the own goal, that building erupted. Let me tell you, they went nuts up there and it helped spur the team to that goal, albeit an own goal, but it was almost like the collective will of those fans pushed that ball into the net, right? The fire have done the opposite. They, they, did their best to get season tickets and season ticket packages sold. And then they turn around and give away free tickets to other people pissing off the season ticket holders. You play in an open stadium in terrible weather. Uh, I don't know too many local watch parties. I don't know of any shuttle buses. Like I live out in the Northwest suburbs. I'm not going to drive an hour and a half into the city fighting traffic and parking and paying for it. Why? Just to watch them give up a two goal lead? No. Get some shuttle buses. Get some watch parties, right? Have a game at Bridgeview. Have a game in Rosemont if you can find the space. Like, mix it up a little bit. And Heck, maybe your players might get out of their own heads if they're not playing in Soldier Field. Something, anything. Spitball in here, right? The Fire have not done any of these MLS basics in order to be a competent team and kind of make sure that they are at least in that playoff competition. And as far as it only being eight games into the season, that's a quarter of the way, right? It's 34 game season. If I recall 34 games, you're a quarter of the way into the season. If, if a company, if a corporation has a mediocre first quarter and is trending downward, oh, there are layoffs and managers are getting fired. But the Chicago fire are like, yeah, you know, maybe we get lucky. You know, if Kai had scored that one in that one game, or maybe that one doesn't bounce off Salase, or, or maybe Shibuko gets that goal early. Then we end up, you know, we end up in a much better spot. Okay, well, that is just a terrible game plan and not really a game plan at all. Just relying on, hey, we were almost there, guys. Good job. I feel like I'm out there coaching my kid's seven-year-old soccer team. Like, good job, guys. You almost scored that one. We almost won. Yeah, not happening. And, and as a side note, uh, they, they did start the season 1-0. I got my kid in as the goalkeeper. And he is loving it. He idolizes Gaga Slonina and Chris Brady. So I'm <laughs> so if anyone out there is listening and, wa- and wants to uh, give some goalkeeping words of encouragement, send them my way because my my seven year old just just loves being in net. 
okay, that was the moment of levity in this rant here, right? Looking back again, oh, we're only eight, eight games in. Okay, yeah, but what are your next eight games? Uh, versus Red Bulls at Nashville, versus St. Louis at Charlotte. Versus Atlanta, at New England, at Toronto, at Cincinnati. I, do, I don't see a lot of points over the next eight games. Those are some good teams, and I don't see the fire figuring it out anytime soon. If you're going to say, okay, well, okay, Mr. Genius, rip on everybody, but what's your solution? Honestly, the only thing I can think of at this point, other than saying everyone do better, blow it up, rebuild. Chicago sports fans love a good rebuild, right? We've seen it in every franchise probably too often in every other franchise. But honestly, keep Brady, keep Fetty Navarro, keep Gutierrez, keep Kutzius. Uh There's probably some guys who are coming off the bench now that I would keep as well, Pineda. Um, but other than that, just, just blow it up and rebuild, blow it up, rebuild it. That's my rant. Thank you. Fire fans for listening. Now let's take a quick look at some notable results around the league. Um, I told you last week, keep an eye on Nashville LAFC. Good game. One, one draw. Uh, I also said, keep an eye on Cincinnati Portland. We'll see how that game wraps up. And if Portland tries to build some momentum, uh, but Portland ends up falling two to one Cincinnati gets back on track couple other notable results, D.C. D.C. United with a big win, 3-1 to one, over Orlando. Maybe Orlando's a little overhyped coming into this season if they're giving up 3 to D.C. right now. Also, L.A. Galaxy get a big win, 2-0 over Austin. They keep Austin down, and they hopefully get a little bit of momentum here and can contend for a playoff spot. Well, that's it for this week, Fire fans. We will see you with our preview in a few days against... Uh, when the fire take on the Red Bulls, we're going to look ahead to that one, probably being released Thursday or Friday. So make sure you are following on Spotify, subscribing on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. DMs are open at Glasshouse Soccer on Twitter and Facebook. You can email me, glasshousesoccer at gmail.com. And with that, have a wonderful rest of your week.